Welcome back to the Layer World Podcast. My name is Arkron Bilvich, and let's dive in. Today we are going to discuss the human-like races that exist on the Layered World. Um, Each one is unique and distinct in their own right, and each one has their own gifts. I hope that you all enjoy hearing about what they have to offer, and maybe get some character ideas flown for when you get this game. Let me know what you think. Send me a message. Always willing to hear you out. The first race I would like to discuss is the Argel. The Argel are the uh, descendants of the angels of the gods of old. When their gods fell out of power, the Argel came to become mortal. Argel lost much of their angelic power, but retained the ability to fly in a form of zero gravity. Their astral zero gift allows them to enter a controlled zero gravity where, without any difficulty whatsoever, they can control their orientation and combat prowess. Now, mind you, in Astral Zero, they technically weigh nothing. This is very useful if you are in a combat against an Argel, as that makes them very easy to throw around. Argel also retained the abil- their racial ability of Blink, which allows them to teleport a short distance to their target in combat. Argel when frightened or when threatened, do not have a flight response. They are one of the few warring races that still retains the fight-only mentality. As such, Argel are one of the most feared combatants due to the fact that they can appear directly by your side at the start of any combat round. Argel's natural blink ability is also tied directly to their adrenal glands, which means as soon as their adrenaline kicks off, they teleport. Whether they want to or not, their body and mind are hardwired to teleport and attack that which is attacking them. Physical descriptions of Argel are a little bit different than most other races. Mainly because, like all of the other races, Argel are unique to themselves. Argel stand around six feet tall, give or take a few inches, with the men standing slightly shorter than the women. Anywhere between a dark tan to a very light copper-colored skin and could have anything between bright silver hair to dark stone gray. Argyll are usually friendly, though that friendliness is um, not always going to be present with all members of the race. The Argyll are very warlike. Even their cities that they build have many, many partitions and many, many walls. The Argyll are a very strict race, very following, very much following order over chaos, and believe that most things should fall in line. The second race I would like to discuss today would definitely be the Automata. Now, the Automata are a very special race, as they are the only non-organic race you can play. The Automata have bodies made out of isotopic bronze, steel, copper, and sometimes brass. Now, the automata are very, very large, measuring exactly eight feet tall with with a shoulder width of three and a half feet, and yet their bodies are perfect, created by their creators to be an absolute representation of what a perfect organic bipedal mechanism would be. They have the absolute 
ability to move in the same directions and same abilities as any other biological race, but they do not have faces. An automata, instead of having a face, will have a steel plate that is completely barren. No nose, no mouth, no eyes. This plate is a often decorated by the automata as a way to show individualism. The second race I would like to discuss today would definitely be the automata. Now, the automata are a very special race as they are the only non-organic race you can play. The automata have bodies made out of isotopic bronze, steel, copper, and sometimes brass. Now, the automata are very, very large, measuring exactly eight feet tall with a, with a shoulder width of three and a half feet, and yet their bodies are perfect, created by their creators to be an absolute representation of what a perfect organic bipedal mechanism would be. They have the absolute ability to move in the same directions and same abilities as any other biological race, but they do not have faces. An automata, instead of having a face, will have a steel plate that is completely barren. No nose, no mouth, no eyes. This plate is a often decorated by the automata as a way to show individualism. That question has two answers. The first is the scientific definition of what a core is, and the second one is what the automata would tell you what a core is. We'll start with the scientific definition. A core is a roughly foot diameter sphere of castor steel, one of the rarest minerals in all of the layered world. Matter of fact, it's so rare that it has only been found very sparingly while on the third layer and is so significant that those who find it can sell it for roughly a thousand silver per gram. Castor steel is so very rare and very wanted that some people have attempted to steal the cores in the past. That was left. That was met with uh, extreme resistance and several massacred bodies and one army that was almost completely wiped out. Now, the reason why the army was complete, almost completely wiped out, and why it was met with such extreme resistance is the automata's definition of a core. The automata's definition of a core, like I said, is a blessing. But what does that blessing truly entail? To an automata with a core, the world doesn't exist. Not in the way that you and I see it. Not even in the way that an automata sees, an automata without a core sees it through the data stream. The core allows an automata to not have to feel, but it also connects them on a deeper level with those others with a core, almost creating a singular mind. It lets them be part of something larger, and the automata want that. Nobody knows why. It's almost like a hive mind, but it's more of a... I guess you'd call it a mental utopia. Imagine everyone being on the same level intellectually as you and always having something to talk about without ever having the need to speak. 
it is a very important thing for those automata who never leave to always feel euphoric, always feel almost reverence toward who they are as well as what they were given. But the drawback with the core is what it makes you do. As I stated before, every automata that has a core in place inside of them always follows a very strict regimented day-to-day schedule. Those days usually consist of finding materials, making smaller components, and turning them into a singular piece of something larger. That something larger, the automata don't know what it is. Every year, they take these pieces, put them on what would be called what is effectively a pallet, and they send it into a sacred mountain that is inaccessible except for one day a year and only opens for one hour. After which it closes and it doesn't open again for another entire year. That is the drawback to the core is you are euphoric, you are reverent, but you are trapped in an endless loop. Now, the benefits of not having a core. The cores, as beautiful as they are, as euphoric as they might be, not having a core allows you to have completely free will. And yes, though you might be jealous as the other automata for having what you don't, it does, allow, it does allow you the chance to grow as a person. Those automata that have cores are unable to learn skills the way a normal human does or a normal person in general. While you, as an automata who is not cored, have the ability to gain skills and use your abilities of comprehension to gain access to skill sets that you might not normally have. An automata has several gifts, along with his comprehension. The ability to see, even when not being able to see, is always a good one. Having an armored body makes it so they are very difficult to damage, and yet because of what their body armored body is made out of, makes them very simple to repair. Um, an automata is built by the best craftsman that the layered world has ever known. In fact, all automata have a body that can be completely augmented as they see fit. They can have weapons replace their arms. They can have weapons implanted into themselves all automata start with the wire rider, which is a weapon I will be discussing later down the line, and have the ability to use a pulsa. Pulsas being one of the most devastating early game weapons. But again, the only way to get a hold of a pulsa is to be an automata and having a- having access that your game master permits. The third race I would like to talk to you all about is the demon kit. Now, most demonkins stand between the heights of 5 foot 4 and 5 foot 6 inches tall. They have striking either white or black hair and sometimes salt and pepper mixture. But what most people notice first is their pitch black eyes. A demonkin of low level has solid black eyes that go from the whites of the eye, where the whites of the eyes would be, all the way to the pupils of solid black. As a demonkin gains power, his iris starts to glow with energy, making his eyes go from a pitch black to concentric rings of black and gold. 
making him even more of a striking figure. Demonkins, who use their awakening ability, double in size, allowing them to get stronger, faster, and even a little bit more flexible. Nobody knows why, but a Demonkin's nature makes them inherently good at physical combat. Demonkin from Demonkin come from the second layer of Gehenna, where war and famine is a must. Gehenna is one of the few places that is completely lawless, with only one or two basic generic rules associated with what people would call laws. Demonkin come from this layer, which makes them more attuned to the lawless side of things. Now, at the same time, demonkin are not inherently evil. Most people who meet a demonkin will either find that he is either fully focused on becoming what his nature is, which is usually the darker side of the spectrum, or so focused on proving people wrong that he's almost lost himself in his quest to be the good guy. Demon can also have a natural affinity toward the skills of charm, intimidate, and diplomacy. It allows them to manipulate facts, twist your emotions, and in some cases, scare the pants off of you. It's one of the reasons that people will see them as inherently evil. Many a demon kin in the past who were tyrants or evil in nature used their abilities as a way to malign themselves and their entire race with others. One of the worst tyrants in history was a demon kin who turned an entire species against each other as a way to try to build more political power. This is one of the reasons why demon kin are so feared. The fourth race I would like to discuss with you is a special race, the dragon. Now, dragons are not the giant fire-breathing lizards of yore. As a matter of fact, they're a much, much sadder story. A dragon comes into being when any of the other sentient races gains too much magical clout. When they're using too much mana and their body can't handle it. They have a certain percent chance of mutating into a dragon. Now, dragons are special in the fact that not only are they one of the few mutation races, but dragons are unable to reproduce. Dragons' abilities allow them to be the only things that can resurrect the dead and have a natural ability to fight with their unarmed hands as they grow claws. But a dragon is also one of the saddest races due to the fact that they are unable to remember who or what they used to be. A dragon gains the abilities of a dragon and loses all of the other racial traits, including appearance, once they, be, once they mutate into one. Dragons' appearances vary greatly, and yet the height of a dragon is almost they're almost always between five and a half feet to six and a half feet tall. As stated previously, a dragon's appearance will differ greatly from person to person. This is due to the fact that their hair, skin, and eye colors can be any color of the rainbow along with any affiliated pattern. This makes for many striking appearances, but usually makes most people want to be one. Dragon's appearances are thought to be the, caused by uh, 
what they their personalities before their transformation used to be like. Um, dragons are one of the few races that have the ability to heal naturally without any magical input or alchemical solutions. The healing abilities that a dragon has are in their condensed mana scales that cover their body every year. A dragon has 10 scales that will eventually shed throughout the year, or if they pluck and use them, that's what happened. They're removed until the time that the next year comes around. A dragon skill has the ability to heal and even resurrect the dead. As long as the dragon wills it, if a dragon's skill is removed forcibly or against the dragon's will, all that will happen is you will either have the reverse effect of the scale in the case of you trying to heal somebody that the dragon hates, or the scale does nothing. Scales that have been removed forcibly and are used on somebody that the dragon hates have a tendency to, if the person is dead, destroy the body, and if the person is alive, cause more damage than do good. Dragons also have natural claws that they're able to extend or retract at will, which allows them to be amazing close-quarters combatants. Many dragons, though, prefer to use their magical abilities, considering magic is what they are. Magical powers that the dragon have are one of the highest in all of the known races, and probably one of the highest in any of the unknown races as well. The next race I would like to discuss with you guys today is the Feykine. Feykine are one of the oldest races known to the layered world, as well as one of the only ones that are truly immortal. Fey, when they die, are reincarnated into the next Fey in their cycle. Fey are anywhere between the heights of 6 feet to 8 feet tall, and can live any amount of time until they are usually killed. Fey do not have a life expectancy. Fey are either born into a summer Fey, a fall Fey, a winter Fey, or a spring Fey, usually taking the form of one of them. There has not been a new Fey since the birth of the Fey Queen around 3,000 so years ago. A Fey that dies is not subject to normal death rules. Instead, they sprout. Now, normally when a, one of those sentient races dies, they must go through the cycle of rebirth following the code of conduct, usually dictated by truth. But Fey are different. Fey, when they die, their body decomposes down to natural elements, and they sprout, literally raising from the ground next to the Fey's that will be their parents. Strangely enough, it is almost always a couple of Fey, whether it is a man and a man, a woman and a woman, or... A man and a woman. Fey who sprout usually come out as a light green color, then slowly fade into the color that their next cycle will be. Fey are never. Fey never sprout next to any of the other uh, cycle. So if a fae were to go into a winter fae, they will always sprout next to a winter fae. Summer fae as well, spring fae, fall fae, will always get one of their own. Fae's ears are one of the most dynamic ones in all of the layered world, with the ability to express emotion better than most people's faces can. A fae's ears are long and pointed, around 13 inches to 16 inches long. 
and stick directly out from the side of their heads. Faye's ears can either curl up or unfurl, allowing them to hear better or hear worse, allowing them to protect themselves against sonic attacks. Fae ears are very expressive, allowing you to almost always tell what a fae is trying to hide from their emotions. Each fae of every season has a striking difference in appearance between themselves and those of other seasons. For instance, winter fae are anywhere or usually closer to the 8-foot height spectrum, while also having a massive bodily build. Their skin tones are anywhere between a almost slate gray to snow white, along with their hair usually being a dark gray in color. Their eyes have a misty sheen to them, and their appearances are striking. While a fall fay or a spring fay have differences as well. While the spring fay can have any shade of green as their skin coloring, their eyes are usually a deep lavender hue. Their hairs are usually anything between a light brown to a dark yellow, allowing them to be very striking in appearance. Spring fae are usually lithe and highly energetic, but they're also one of the lowest end of the height spectrum for fae. Rarely above six foot tall, and spring fae at the same time are usually known as a joyful and lovable species, though their energy can be annoying at times. Spring Fae do have some of the highest energy levels of any of the species on the known on the known layered world, making it so if a group of Spring Fae were to work together to move from one place to the next, you should cut down the time by half. Spring Fae only need anywhere between three to four hours of sleep a night. The Summer Fae are some of the most warlike of the Fae species, though on the smaller end of the spectrum and very easily sighted due to their golden skin color along with their silver eyes. But the, but the Summer Fae are some of the most intelligent of the Fae. They seek war and are some of the best warriors and archers in, well, the entirety of the layered world, making them some of the most striking of scouts and some of the most dangerous when it comes to magical aptitudes. Most of the guards on the first layer of the Feylands are, of course, Summer Fae. Fall Fae are fla fast, flexible, and mystical in nature. With skin the color of dying leaves and hair the color of drying vines, eyes the color of dying embers. Fall Fae are one of the more contemplative races. This is due to the fact that fall is seen as a time of new beginnings for most of the layered world, but it is especially true for the Fae. Fae within the fall cycle have a tendency to be more curious than other Fae and have the more, are more likely to leave the first layer. But fall Fae are also incredibly powerful in the mystical arts compared to other Fae. They are always quietly contemplating things while also thinking further back on what they did in the past. The phase cycle does seem to change its personality a bit. This is strange, considering most Fae will claim that they haven't changed at all from cycle to cycle, but that can be seen to be false. 90% of the Fae that have reincarnated into the next cycle, their personality drastically shifts to match with what that cycle usually represents. 
winter usually record represents a time of family even and sometimes hardier beginnings which is why the winter fair is some of the biggest and brutish looking creatures while war is fought in the summer which makes the summer fair more warlike spring fair energetic usually because that's the time where life is sprouting the most in fall they are contemplative and curious because that's the time when the most mystical time of year is they wonder what's going on, what's going to happen next. But the Fae don't seem to notice this. And though the Fae's cycle does help manipulate their personality, it doesn't change what their gifts are. Fae are naturally attuned to nature, allowing them to communicate with animals and plants. Though plants are more of an emotional sentence than they are actually talking, animals can speak in very small broken sentences to the Fae. Nobody understands why this works, but the Fae just take it out to mean that they're meant to be protectors of nature. Which is why, in the Fae lands, you're not allowed to have standing structures unless they're of natural construction. Anything that could erode part of nature is almost immediately wiped out. The sixth race I would like to discuss with you would definitely be the humans of the layered world. Now, the humans of the layered world are very intuitive. Literally the versatile geniuses that most people can be if they put their minds to it. This makes them one of the most feared races because, well, not only do they spread like wildfire, humans are one of the few races that do not reincarnate over time. A human once born will live one life and die shortly. This makes it so that when they are alive, they are more likely to try to do something great to make a name for themselves. Humans adapt quickly to almost any lifestyle and environment, which makes them easy to spread around. Humans are also one of the very few that have different appearances depending on which region they are from, along with different mentalities and different skin tones and hairstyles. Nobody knows why, but the human race seems to focus more on what's around them so they can adapt it to them and themselves then more than adapt themselves to the environment and yet they are naturally able to adapt to any environment the human's versatility allows their attributes to be very different from person to person a human a player choosing human gets to decide where their bonuses go and don't go Humans have an average to low middle mana pool, but they also have amazing gifts that makes them more able to overcome difficulty. The ingenuity of a human is actually one of their gifts. It allows, it's a special skill that they have that allows them to create things that have yet to be truly thought of. Sometimes some of the other races show this skill, but humans are the most likely to have it happen. They are the most likely race to run into a building full of materials and be like, I can put something together here. While at the same time, humans are incredibly adaptive. They can adapt to any environment within three days of living there. Not entirely adapt, of course, but it's a lot faster than how long it would take any of the other races to become one with the environment or get used to the environment so they can get used to the food layout and everything like that. 
But humans are one of the lowest lived races. One of, and when I say one of the youngest, the youngest being the Vespid, which I'll talk about next. The last race I would like to discuss with you guys today would be the Vespid. Vespid are a relatively short lived species, literally living only to about 40 years old, but they mature quickly. A Vespid at the age of eight is considered an adult and is almost always begged to reproduce with its, by its family as a way to make it so it's able to continue the lineage. Vespids stand between the heights of four foot nine inches and five foot three inches tall with a large, muscular, almost warlike build, even though most Vespid would prefer to focus on crafts. Vespid are a very, very skilled species when it comes to crafts. They have two sets of hands, one of which has two fingers and a thumb, and the second of which has four fingers and two thumbs, but are much smaller. These secondary arms and hands allow for the Vespid to do minute detail work very, very skillfully and very, very deftly without any issues. But the Vespid smaller hands are unable to wield any weapons, including daggers, as their way that their fingers are placed makes it very, very hard. Vespid must use special tools when using their secondary arms. A Vespid has the abilities of shared wisdom that allows their entire species to share their skill sets with each other. Mind you, sharing a skill does not make you a master of the skill, even if the person who's sharing it is a master level. All it does is allow you to use the skill while, it, while you are untrained. But this is a taxing event. A Vespid who is using his shared wisdom is more likely to collapse from exhaustion than not because he becomes fatigued by tapping into the mental consciousness that is the shared wisdom. A Vespid's body is covered by a bio-steel carapace, which allows for immense armor and allows them to also be able to move better in their armor than most other species. As such, because of their natural inclination toward their own bio-armors, Vespid have a tendency to carve their personal histories into their own carapace. So when a Vespid dies, you can always remember what the Vespid had done. Vespid Biosteel degrades after about 45 minutes away from what is attached when it is attached to a body, which makes it an impossible near impossible material to be used as an armor or a weapon. And yet, some artificers have found it as a perfect material due to its malleability and its ability to be preserved as if it were a living creature. Those are the races within the layered world that are all playable. If you have any questions regarding these races that I did not answer in this episode, please do send me a message. Um, if you are unable to send me a message through whatever you are using for your podcast, please do go to anchor.fm backslash layered world, all one word, and I will be willing to listen to your messages and hopefully be able to respond and give you guys some feedback. This is Arkan Belvich, and I am signing off.